Amen. You can be seated. Isn't God amazing? I mean, really think about it. Isn't it amazing that people can come together and and sing songs to the God of the universe and he shows up in in remarkable ways? Like, I don't know about you, but God's here, right? He's not here because we feel. He's here because we've gathered in his name. And, And we can never lose the wonder of that, of God who wants to fellowship with his people. Amen? He loves you. God loves you. And he likes you, right? Sometimes we think, oh, he has to love us because God is love, but he likes you. He created you in his image, and he's working things out in your lives, and, and, uh, and today is part of that. So welcome, and as Pastor Andy said, if you're visiting, you picked a really good Sunday to visit. I, um, before I get too into the message today, I, I want to thank those who helped prepare the meal. I don't want to miss that opportunity, but there were several who, um, yeah, you can... I know Pastor Scott, and I know Sal, and I know Corey came in in a pinch to, to just, I mean, who else did? Did I miss somebody else? It, uh, I, I don't know, but, but I know that meat has been smoked for like hours, right? Not just a little barbecue going on, but we're talking hours. So thank you guys for the time that you invested with your Traegers. Thank you. Um. And all those who helped set up, for sure, too. But I don't know if I have a little ring that's happening here. It's throwing me off. That's just me talking to Ben, you know. So, um, But this morning, uh, we're going to get right into it in, in Psalm uh, 131. And uh, we've been in this series in the Psalms, the Psalms of Ascents. And today is, uh, is a, special, um, a special psalm because there's only three verses. So everybody's like, yes, three verses. Um, next week, got a few more. Um, but in this psalm, these three verses are jam-packed with, with um, I think, revelation and application for us. Anytime we come to God's Word, um, we want it to change our lives. And in this particular psalm, um, I believe that the Lord will meet us today. And so I'm going to read it here in just a moment. But before I do, I want to acknowledge just one more person, and that's Joanna, who's sitting there in the back trying to hide in the back. Joanna had a birthday, and so happy birthday, Joanna. Thank you for all that you do. Listen, I know, uh, if you don't know Joanna, you ought to get to know her, but um, she most Sundays sits back on the, uh, on the ones and twos, choop, 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 back there on the, on the soundboard, but, but uh, Joanna has just been a blessing to this church in more ways than you can even imagine. All this awesome technology runs because she takes the time to figure out how it all works, and, uh, and she's excellent at what she does. And I think um, it's a good testament for each one of us that as we serve the Lord, we give it our all. And Joanna, you certainly give it your all, and we're a better place because of it. So thank you for everything that you do. We appreciate you. So Psalm 131, um, these three verses uh, are about humility. And, um, and so as we read them, uh, I'll read them out, and then there's a really simple pattern that it, it, it takes. And as, you, as I read it, you're going to see, and the author of this psalm is David. So in these Psalms of Ascents, we don't always know who's written the psalm, but this time in particular, we know it's David. We know that, um, that, that David in his life um, experienced a lot of ups and downs, and so he's a little bit of an expert on pride and humility. And so we'll look a little bit into his life and, um, and, and how maybe God taught him how to walk in humility as a result. But, but in these three verses, the first thing you'll see is, um, David st- states it's about um, what, what he does not do, right? So everybody say what he does not do. The second thing is about what he does. 
what he does. I almost said what he do do, right? But you can't say do do in church, right? So that the third is um, what he calls the people to. And so you'll see this very plainly laid out. And it would be a temptation as it is with any um, short passage of scripture just to read it and move on your way. But as you really take a, a more of a dive into David's life, and, and some scholars would um, try to figure out what he's addressing at this particular time in his life. Because as you know, the Psalms are like a, reading somebody's journal or diary, but it's public for all of us that David bears his soul many times to God. He writes his prayers, and he's addressing oftentimes a, a specific situation. How many of you, just by raising your hand, journal? Right? Do you ever journal? Uh, I, I've been journaling since I was in high school, and um, and you know sometimes I, I do it faithfully, other times I just do it like sporadically, and and but in in any in all times that it's done, it's so helpful to just get stuff out. I find for me that even in my prayer life, it's very helpful. Um, sometimes guys were like, I don't want to write poems in a book. You know, it's not, that's not what journaling is. Journaling is also not writing your memoirs, hoping that one day someone will find it. And it's like, whoa, you know, so you write like all, you know, beautifully and stuff. Journaling is like what, what David did is just pouring out his heart. And for me, it's important sometimes you think you've got so much going on and you think like, oh, there's so much happening. And then as you begin to articulate it, you realize that the so many things might be two things, but it comes out on paper and you're able to see it clearly. But, but the thing that, that I appreciate in these days for me about journaling is sometimes, I'm sure this doesn't happen to you, but sometimes I get really distracted when I pray. And, you know, you're, you're on a, a track and you're praying for something and then your mind is thinking about something else. Or you, you, you know, you go to pray before you go to bed and you're two sentences, you know, like it's just you. And, and so in these moments, you look for ways to um, to engage in prayer because prayer is a relationship with God and it's communicating to God. And there's power in prayer. And we know that James tells us that these fervent, effectual prayers of righteous people avail much. They they change things. And so. Um, and so what, what I've been doing lately is writing prayers. Again, not writing them hoping someday someone will discover them and print them on a card or something like that. That's not the intent. The intent is just to go, God, here's my heart. And when I'm writing it, it's hard to fall asleep. When I'm writing it, it's more difficult for me to become distracted. And so I appreciate the Psalms for those reasons because we see somebody who modeled that, who helped us to understand it. And so if you were to steal my journal and read it, there would be fits and bouts there of times where, you know, there's things that you're processing and you might have lots of pages with poor penmanship, you know, uh, because you're just getting it out really quickly. There are other times where it's, you know, you, you just maybe write one or two thoughts or prayers. And so I say all that to say there's a setting or a situation that these Psalms are written out of. And as we examine David's life a little bit, we're going to look at two possible situations that scholars think maybe he was in the midst of while he wrote these psalms. So is everybody ready for this? I don't believe you guys. I don't know if you're ready for this, but let's do it anyways. Psalm 131. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time and forth and forevermore. As I said, the first verse is about what David does not do. And what he doesn't do is he doesn't allow his heart to be too lifted up or his eyes to be raised too highly. 
There's a, uh, an image that you get if your eyes are raised highly. What goes up with your eyes? Your nose. There's a certain smugness to those who raise their nose up at somebody else, right? And along with pride, a, an evil cousin is arrogance. Uh, when, a, when a person has pride in their life, arrogance can be an action of pride. And arrogance basically diminishes somebody else. It's as though you don't exist or you, you're not worth the time or even the look. Now, we in this room wouldn't want to say, oh, I've got that. I know, you know, this isn't this isn't <laughs> this isn't something that we raise our hand to. But it's something that as we come to God's word, we definitely search our hearts for. Like, are there are there those are there uh, facets of society or people that we're just like, uh, you know, I've got too much going on to look at you. You're below my nose. Sometimes it can have a real tricky way of setting root in our hearts that we can be having our eyes lifted so high that we are piously religious, like, oh, I just got my eyes on Jesus. You don't exist. I'm running you over. Because uh, as the, the, the statement that I learned when I was a teenager, that you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And so David kind of addresses these things. And, and again, the situations that, that he might be in really speak to it on a very practical level. But the first thing that we understand that he doesn't do is he doesn't intentionally lift his eyes up too high or lift, let his heart be lifted up too high. He doesn't occupy himself with things too great or too marvelous. There's a, the idea about not occupying yourself with things too great or too marvelous has to deal with selfish ambition. The, the pursuit of selfishly going for things that are going to better you and giving it all your time and passion. And so David's saying, like, I just want to be who I am in Christ. He's not diminishing himself, which I would call like a worm kind of pride. A worm kind of pride is lowly on the ground. Oh, no, not me. I can't do anything. I can't serve God. I'm gonna just don't look at me. I'm just humble over here. That's a hiding. It's a hiding that is, a, is a, an opposite spectrum of pride. The other kind of pride that I see is a lion kind of pride that just roars. And every, everybody would go, oh, that dude's prideful. Because it has an over-outside kind of expression. And so we've got to be careful on both sides. We want to find ourselves in that spot of being known for who we are and being content with what God has given us to do. And, and for some, that will be much. And for some, that will be little in, in society's eyes or in others' eyes. But before God, the person who has humility seeks obedience more than selfish ambition. And so these things can become very, very tricky if we're not careful. And, and again, um, we'll dive more into that. I love this passage. I'll just reference it. We're not going to put it on the screen, but you might look at it later. 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. It says this statement that I remind myself of often is godliness with contentment is great gain. You familiar with that passage? Would you like to learn it right now? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Isn't that simple and profound? Lord, if we could only do that, if we could pursue you with all of our hearts, if we could exalt you like we were in this moment and be content with the things that you've given us. I'm not saying content in a way of settling where we define that, okay, I'm content, but content in what God puts before us, content in the mission for our lives, content in the trial and the test that we might be walking through, knowing that he gives more grace. And so um, that, that first part of what we do, we posture ourselves in such a way where we don't intentionally elevate ourselves. We don't turn our nose up at people 
but we also um, decide that we will be content with what God has given us. The second part of this passage is um, what he does do. And it says that he's calmed and quieted his soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is his soul within him. I'm going to talk about that more in just a moment, but um, he's, he's describing spiritual maturity, I think. And there, it's using a, a, an analogy of development that a, a, a child as it's weaned from its mother is now walking closer towards those levels of maturity. And it would be really weird to have a child that was still nourished by his mother further on into development. I think we would all agree in that. And so the picture from Scripture is really, really stark for us. We realize, okay, as, as we begin to quiet our souls, we begin to walk in maturity. And so the takeaway point for me is this, that, that humility and spiritual maturity go hand in hand. Humility and spiritual maturity go hand in hand. Um, the Bible is pretty clear about um, humility. And I think one of the, the scriptures that sums it up so well is found in James um, chapter 4 and verse 6. And I know you'll be familiar with it, but let's look at it anyways. James chapter 4 and verse 6. This is in context, James. You remember our James study. We've been through this, but um, this is in context of friendship with the world and, and being a, a friend of the world and an enemy of God. And it speaks of this grace that God gives us to pursue him even more. You, you're not alone in this pursuit. But he's with you. And that's a beautiful thing. But then it says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I've read this verse many, many times. And every time I read it, there's a little bit of a shudder in my bones. That the last thing that I would want in my life is opposition from God. He will always win. You know that, right? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's a great motivation for humility in there is because I think we all long for it, desire it, and need it in our lives, that we long for more grace. And humility is what opens the door for that grace in our life. I'm going to read you a couple other passages because if that one wasn't enough, it's repeated in 1 Peter chapter 5. five. It's helping the younger man see how to respond and how to live a, a godly life and 1 Peter 5.5 5 says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, um, all of you, with humility towards one another. What does that mean to clothe yourself? you got to put it on, right? Humility doesn't just come naturally to you. Your flesh repels it. Humility has to be a, a willful choice. That just as you put your shirt on and your, so your socks and shoes and all these things, it's a willful choice. And, and, and the same way clothing yourself with humility is. But this lesson is so important that it's repeated. I, I kind of wonder, like, you know, were James and Peter talking when they were writing their letters? Because they say um, the same passage, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the last and final one is in, in Proverbs 3, 33 and 35. I'm reading out of the NIV. It says, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. Listen to what it says. He mocks proud mockers, but he gives grace to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but the fools he holds up to shame. Pride comes before the what? Yeah. It's like, how many times have you made fun of someone for tripping on a, and then you trip and fall, right? It's like, 
Pride comes before the fall. He mocks the proud mockers. Does God do that because he's cruel? No, because he's a father who wants to help us work out our humility with him. I'd mentioned, um, I'd mentioned these potential passages that um, could have been situations that could have been happening, and I'm just going to unpack them. And I, I really do think my time is going to be short with you today. I, I know I've said that many times, but we have this meal to eat, and, and, um, and I want to enjoy it, and I know you do too. But just briefly in looking at these things and looking at the life of David, if you've never done a, a character study on the life of David, it's very helpful and it's very interesting because this young shepherd boy who becomes the king of Israel, who becomes one that is called a man after God's own heart, lives a very interesting life that is a bit of a roller coaster. Isn't it true? From tremendous successes to tremendous failures. And so there's so many things that can be learned in David's life. But just to give you a snapshot and maybe review for some, it might be new for others. But here's this young boy, David, who is a shepherd taking care of sheep in the fields. That's what shepherds do, apparently. And, um, and, 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 and the Lord speaks that he would be the one who's anointed as the future king of Israel. He's anointed as king of Israel, and yet there's somebody else in his seat. How many of you have ever been in a position at your work or in somewhere else where you have been promised something or a carrot maybe has been dangled before you, but it's just going to take a little time because there's something else, maybe someone else is in that seat, but over time you will get that position. Has anyone ever been there before? Just shake your head. So this is a common scenario, and, and David finds himself in that scenario, but yet this is God speaking. You know David goes on and faithfully serves as, as a shepherd. Then the situation occurs with, with Phil, the Philistine Goliath. And David goes and takes care of him with three smooth stones. And out of that situation, David becomes super popular, right? And as I've heard others say, there was a top ten song out on the radio. The song goes like this. Saul has slain his thousands, but David, what? His ten thousands. And it goes viral. I mean, everybody loves that song. There's a remix version of it. Everybody's playing it. It's just, people dig it. The only person that doesn't love that song is who? Saul. Saul's got some character issues, possibly pride. Would you agree? So it becomes a picture now, this contrast between these two historical figures, one who is gripped with pride, the other who seeks to be humble. And it plays out like a fascinating case study for, for any of us to read. Um, you, uh, what's his name? Uh, John, um, nah, Edwards. Someone, Ed, first name Edwards, I can't remember. Writes a, a book called The Tale of Three Kings. Uh, great book on leadership. I would recommend it. It's a, it's a really good read. Um, easy read. Um, but at any rate, it tells the story of David and Saul and, and uh, others as well. Um, the, the point in that whole book and the point in David's journey is God's teaching him humility through all of these things. God's taking him to places of, of being exalted by others, um, but it just seems as he's exalted, almost his legs get cut out from under him. David knows who he is. He's a worshiper. He's one who, when he worships, things happen, right? So um, the presence of God is, is, is apparent to the point where he, the one who is intended to be the king of Israel, is now serving the, the prideful existing king. And that prideful existing king has problems with evil spirits. Can you see a connection between pride and what it does to our spirit? So here, when, when Saul is having these issues, this oppression from dark forces of, of the enemy, 
David comes in and, and plays the harp and, and sings, you were worthy of it all. You know, just, and, and as he does, Saul just goes, oh, thank you, Lord. No, Saul picks up a spear and goes, boom. And David just goes, you were worthy of it all. Right? He just keeps doing the thing. He keeps putting one foot in front of the other, faithfully serving. He's not perfect in this. And it begins to wear on him. And it wears on him so much so that there's moments where he's experiencing friendship with Saul and being brought in. I mean, in fact, he's connected because, you know, he's married to Saul's daughter, which proves to be a problem. But he gets to this point where the highs and the lows are just take, they take it out of him. And, and he's fleeing. And... You know, you can, you can read about this in First and Second Samuel, but he gets to a point where he's at such a low point and he's in fear of his life that he fakes like he's a madman. He fakes insanity. He spits all over his beard and acts like a madman. All-time low for David. And then he goes into this place called the Cave of Adullam, right? And what's so interesting about this cave, it's a place where he's going to hang out and just kind of get it all sorted out. And God sends him people to lead because David was a leader and part of humility for him meant leading. He was doing what he was called to do. But I want you to look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 22 at the description of the 400 people that God brings to him. It says that David departed from there and he escaped and where he departed from was his moment of insanity or faking insanity to save his own life. He departed from there and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his fathers had heard, um, father's house had heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone, listen to this, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became their commander, the commander over them. And there... And there, um, there were with him about 400 men. Those 400 men had families too. How many of you would just go, God, I'd love to hang out with broke people who are distressed and depressed. And that would be awesome. In a cave would be even better. Let me lead them. This is the situation David finds himself. I just think it says it so clearly in debt distressed. In one of the versions, maybe yours says discontented, like nothing's okay. These are my guys. David, though, in that moment where he could have just bailed, he could have just said, I'm going to go on and find some stellar men, those who are happy, those who make me happy, those who are really skilled and make me rich. These are the ones I want. If I want to be around these good people, I want to surround myself with good people. David doesn't do that. Why? Because David is learning humility. He's learning that humility is not lifting his head up too high to not see the person who's in front of him. If your nose is so high, you can't even see who's there. I think that comes, something that comes with humility, maybe this is a note to jot down for some, but as we make a willful choice into humility, we are connecting ourselves closer with the heart of God. Why? Because God gives grace to the humble. And as we choose humility, we're connected to the heart of God. We're able to see people as He sees them. 
If we can't, if we can't get God's eyes for people, then we're going to be in trouble trying to walk with him and trying to fulfill the mission that he's called us to. Because if our eyes have a, a tainted pride in them, then we're going to overlook or see past people and we're going to find the wrong people possibly to partner with, to invest in, to, to serve and to love. I mean, we all know ourselves, right? We are all a mess. We're all a mess. And in many ways, we're all faking it in our careers, in our jobs. I'm not, I'm not being, uh, I'm being extreme, okay? But you hear what I'm saying, that there are moments, and you have to admit that you find yourself in a situation going, how am I here right now? I know I went to university for this. I know I have training for it, but what do I do? And you might feel, what do they call that, the imposter syndrome? You might feel that way. And there's something in this human, you know, this human shell that we have, this body that we have where we're like, oh, if they only knew. And there's comfort in knowing that God knows you, he chose you, he's working it out in you, and that you don't have to fake it, you can be known by him. And as you're known by him, and as you're, you're built up in him, you become one who does that for others. Is this making any sense? And so there's this willful choice to say, God, help me to be connected with your heart. Help me to have the same eyes that you have for people, that I don't turn my nose up at them, that I don't overrun them that I don't ignore them because I can't even see them because my eyes are in a different place. I want my eyes fixed on you. The story of of David with these 400 men is pretty remarkable because he stays faithful. Humility is the stuff that keeps you faithful. Humility will keep you faithful. David kept showing up. He invested in their lives. And these men become mighty men. These men become David's mighty men of valor. These are incredible people. But they, were, they didn't start that way, nor do any of us. And so um, the, the, the first point in all of that is that David, David leads these men, and they will eventually become these mighty men that God had a plan for. Um, these, the, the broke, these, the distressed, these, the bitter in soul, these, the discontented. These are the very ones that, that God wanted to use to help school David and teach David humility. And so the application for you might be a step back for a moment and go, God, who have you placed in my life? There's a a relationship that's happening there. There are those that are in your life that maybe frustrate you. Maybe they feel discontented, bitter in soul, whatever it might be. And God's called you there. Maybe they're shaping something in you while you are shaping something in them. This is the beauty of relationship with God. The second thing that... um, that we look at is the way that, and, and by the way, I shared that whole story, hopefully you can catch the link, is that scholars think this might have been David's heart condition when he's writing this psalm, you know, he, they, they think that might have been out of this situation. The second situation they think he, it might have been out of was uh, one that might be familiar to you as well, is when the Ark came into, the Ark of the Covenant came into the city of David. When the Ark came in, um, there was great celebration and, in, and this ties to the second part for me of this psalm, that I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. The, um, the relationship with a, a, between a mother and a child doesn't disappear after the weaning process. It grows into a depth and a, and a maturity. 
And just as the same in our relationship with God, as we get past some of the milk of the, the word, as we begin to get into the meat of who it is and who God is and what his word is, um, we develop a closer relationship with God, a very real relationship where we understand our mission, our purpose, and we walk in it. Uh, I, I've shared this so many times, but I, I think it's really illustrated well in the Garden of Eden when, when the intent of God is shown there that man has this meaningful work and it's legitimate work that he names animals, and it's God waiting to see what man will name animals. So this work of humility, it, it, it grows in our relationship with God where we start to, to see, okay, there's stuff for me to do, and I'm comfortable, confident in who I am, yet I'm not prideful. And, and part of the core of who David was, king, leader, but worshiper and warrior as well. And so there's a moment when the ark comes in and the, the presence of God is so heavy, And the presence of God is heavy, and David responds to it. And here's what happens. um, This is 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 16. It says, As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. The account goes on, and, and um, David doesn't know this. He, she's seeing him, but David's just, like, free. He's, like, jubilee-free. He's dancing and leaping and praising God. You know, there's something to humility and what it releases in our expression of worship to God. When we're truly known by God and when we truly know Him, when our eyes are open to who He is, there's an expression of worship that comes out of us that in humility, we care so much more about our response to God than we do about anyone around us. And that's a beautiful thing. Uh, our expressions of worship aren't intended to be like, let me get like psyched up, like worship, you know, like locker room time, like today in worship, I'm going to dance, you know. Today in worship, I'm lifting my hands up higher than the guy next to me. It, it's not like a, a preconceived kind of thing. Does that make sense what I'm saying? What I read in here and what I understand of, of humility and worship is, and I see it in this place and I so love it. It's this honest expression that, that I can't contain myself. I will dance before the Lord. I can't contain myself. I lift my hands before the Lord. Um, you know, if you're really risky like me, I might just sway a little bit. You know what I mean? That's... That's white guy risk right there. Like, here I go. Like, inside, I'm just going for it with a lot of rhythm, but that's about the best that I've got. And, and so, so the, the, this is just the, the heart of humility and what it does in our expression to God. And, 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 and I think, like, God is answering some prayers that we prayed over this place. Like, in worship today, I, 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 I've shared this before again. I, I feel a little insecure sometimes when I repeat myself. That's why I always set it up that way. But, but um, we spent a lot of time in the renovation process in this building um, with nothing in it. This is the leadership. We prayed. We put, you know, um, we put our time in, in, in seeking the Lord, walking um, this place, writing things in Sharpies along the, the, the cement there before carpet came in and proclaiming, believing that God wanted to do something. And one of the things that we really believe God wanted to do was release a freedom in worship, you know? And, and, um, and you catch these glimpses and these moments in worship where you go, wow, God, you're answering that right now. I, I felt that today, listening to our young guys lead us from our high school, listening to Joel lead us in that, that song of such expression. It's an answer to prayer. 
But, but you see, that answer to prayer is as a result of your obedience and your humility before God to just go, I'm going to give you my all right now. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And that's what David was doing, giving his all to him in worship. And as he did, um, he concluded that the dance that he gave before the Lord and was part of the sacrificing. And, and, and it said that he began to you know, give out the breads and cakes and different things that were a part of that ceremony. And as he gave them out, the intention was that each would receive and then go back and bless their home. And David himself received and went back to bless his home. And I got to just think, like, David was probably feeling pretty good, right? Like, when we danced before the Lord, I felt like, man, when we had our Jubilee celebration here, it went on all day. I tell some of my pastor friends, oh, yeah, man, we started at 10 and we ended at like 10 and everybody stuck around. It was awesome. And you just, you're feeling pretty good and, and, and. David must have come home on a high. You ever have a spiritual high? What often happens with a spiritual high? (laughs) Michael, his wife, he walks in and he's got like, you know, cakes. And I don't know why she wasn't there, but she wasn't. And he he, he walks in and and, and she says to him, um, I'll read it. It says, as David returned to bless his household, that was his intention. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of the servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And he's like, how are you, babe? I just think like that was a a moment where, you know, I wonder what David's heart did. His response was pretty strong and he'll give it here in just a moment. But what what she's referring to is the abandonment that he had in his worship to God. And perhaps, I don't know, scholars would know better than me, but maybe the cloak came off and he was just in his cloth just going, woohoo, worshiping God. I don't know. But she infers that it was undignified. She doesn't infer, she straight up says it, it was vulgar. And that you did this in front of uh, the young girls. What a hit, you know, what a hit, especially when the intent of the heart was humble, eyes not lifted too high, content in the Lord and wanting to worship. But the hit was not, I mean, it was just like, it's one thing if someone calls you out and you know you've done something wrong in your heart, but if they call you out and your heart was pure before God, isn't that the worst Man, I think we should pause and take it as a caution for all of us, shouldn't we? Is our nose up a little high? You know, I, I, I can say that sometimes there's things that we can look at on the, on the scene, you know, in, in the church. Maybe, maybe there's a YouTube video or some kind of example of a worship expression or maybe someone's attitude where it can be easy to go, oh, what's that? There's so many camps in the body of Christ on, on what you can do in worship, what you can't, what's Holy Spirit, what's not Holy Spirit. I'm not advocating that we lack in discernment and measure things against God's word. We absolutely should. But maybe we ought to take pause and just be really careful when we critique somebody's posture of worship. Because what David was doing, although it looked undignified, was pure before the Lord. And an awkward silence fell over the room. <laughs> no, it's true, though, isn't it? It's true. And I, I think it's a, it gets a little quiet because we've probably all been a little guilty of that, whether it's just been in a flippant thing that we've said or maybe something that we've thought. 
Um, and it's a good thing to have that awkward feeling. It's a good thing to take a step back and measure that up to God's word and just not walk in condemnation or guilt, but just to walk open-handedly and say, God, shape me just like you were shaping David throughout his life. Shape me in these areas that I might be one who walks in humility with my eyes on you um, and my eyes open to those that are around me to see them with your eyes. And so it, it, it reads on, because um, David has a response. And it says, And David said to Michael, very clearly, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. That was a heavy hit. Can I read it again? Because he was bagging on her dad. <laughs> He was like, God chose me, not your dad. It was me who God chose. So you have to take that as somebody who wrote a psalm, who really walked in humility and confidently stated what what was truth. Or you have to take another extreme and say, was David getting prideful in that moment? I tend to interpret that David was speaking truth in a humble way. And he was saying what was. It was like, hey, you you can judge what you think you just saw, but... Right, wrong, or indifferent, God unmistakably called me into this position, and I was worshiping God. But then he goes on and he says, just to double down, and I'll make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. When I was a youth pastor, there was a song that was, um, we, we like to play. It was, the chorus was, I'll become even more undignified than this. Some would say it's foolishness. And I'll become even more undignified than this. Leave my pride by the side. I'll become even more undignified than this. It was a good song. And I, I love the song because the youth loved it and they would sing and everybody would get excited about it. But I love the message of the song. It's like, especially in those years of your life where you're feeling pretty insecure and you wonder and you care, because you don't feel that later in life, only when you're in junior high and high school. So you're, you're, you're feeling... But then you're making this bold proclamation. No, I'm going to become even more undignified than this. Leaving my pride by the side. Possibly, maybe possibly, that this was something David was reflecting on as he wrote this psalm. We don't know. It's all speculation. But it's interesting, isn't it? Two of these situations. One, where David is put in a position where he could have easily overlooked the the unlikely and unsavory people that God put in his path. But he chose humility to see them for who God, how God saw them, and he served them, and he learned humility, learned to lead. One possibility. A second possibility, in a moment where his worship expression before God and his public leadership was called out on the line, he could have either responded in anger, he could have responded in, in, in an inappropriate rebuke, but he responded in truth and said, no, this is my calling This is what I will continue to do. Even if the ones closest to me are discouraging it, I'm going to choose to follow what God has called me to do. That is what humility looks like. And by the way, God in that moment took care of judgment. That's not our call. Scripture records that that Michael was barren from that moment. She, She was barren. I don't understand the mysteries of how God does what he does. I just know that when I keep my eyes on God and I put people, um, I don't take the role of of needing to uh, make sure somebody pays for what they've said or done. That's called revenge. 
takes you into a whole wrong category. And pride, arrogance, and revenge is a real ugly place to live. But when I keep focused, when I keep my eyes on Jesus, when I walk in the humility, not my eyes too lifted up, when I walk in contentment, I can hand all of this over to God and say, you, you can deal however you desire with those that are around me. And God is faithful to do it. And so this last verse, and this is really where I'll end. Can you believe it? It's 1115. Um, Christian and the worship team, if you guys want to join us, that would be amazing. Um, this last verse is what he calls the people to. And this is my call to you, Bridge Community Church, right? It says in this passage, Psalm 131, verse 3, O Israel, and I say, O Bridge, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. There's a few possibilities of what's been happening since I've been preaching over these last couple of moments. One possibility is you're, you're listening to this, the, the Holy Spirit's maybe convicting you of some areas of pride, and you're going, oh, I keep falling into this trap. Another possibility is you're like, it's pulled pork, and they, they, <laughs> they cooked it for like 20 hours, shredded, carnitas, it's going to be in a taco. That's okay, too. But if you're, if you're anything like me and you, you, know, you begin to hear some of this stuff because you're a human, because you're, you're, you're like David who was called of God but needed some shaping and is put in situations that help to cultivate humility, you could either take this and go, oh, what do I do? You know, I'm just being prideful and I want to be prideful. This last passage is so great because it calls you into hope. But, but what struck me as I read it, and this is what I'll pass on to you, it says, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, right? Your hope is in the Lord. Who gives you more grace? More grace. As you walk out this, this wrestle between pride and humility, keep your eyes on him. He will help you in it. But this is what I like. It says, hope in the Lord from this time on and forevermore. And so the temptation of the enemy is to replay your past and go, oh, yeah, you've been prideful for years. Blah, 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 blah. That is a futile effort to try to go back and fix that. From this time forth and forevermore is your opportunity to hope in the Lord. The Lord that will give you grace to walk in humility. The Lord that will give you grace to see people through his eyes. The Lord that will give you grace to walk in contentment that this is what you've given me. I'm not going to be selfishly ambitious, but if I'm going to pursue anything, if I'm going to be ambitious, may I be ambitious for the cross. And this is what it says in Philippians chapter 3. This verse literally changed my life. I was in youth group. Another youth um, came to me. He was a uh, one grade higher, so he was super old. And he came to me with, with his wisdom. And he said, God gave me this verse to share with you. And I was like, whoa. It was one of those first times where somebody other than a leader came and shared something with me. And, and, and he would probably never know how much this step of obedience impacted my life. He says, I think God wants you to know this. And this is Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. This is a godly ambition. It says, not that I've already obtained all this, or I'm already made perfect. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And this is the part that nailed it for me. Brothers, I don't consider um, that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are, um, let, let those of us 
who are mature think this way. And if you think anything otherwise, God will reveal this to you also. And let us hold true to what we have already attained from this day forward. Things I do, I forget what's behind. I strain on towards what's ahead. Can we just turn our eyes back to Jesus? And I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Um, I'm going to invite you to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak to you, what, what application might look like in this moment. And uh, whatever song that you guys have in your heart, if you could just lead us and um, we'll take some time to respond to the Lord and then we'll go eat some really good food together. Psalm 131 reads like this, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. God, as we hear your word, we want to respond to it. Lord, if there be any area in our life where our eyes are lifted up a little too high and our nose is following it, would you reveal it? And by your grace, help us to respond in humility, not in pride, not in arrogance. But Lord, to reflect the very nature of you. Jesus, you didn't consider it robbery. Philippians 2 is what's in my mind when you made yourself as nothing 
and you took on the form of, of mankind and this not grasping your position in heaven, but you came and served and you called us to consider the needs of others as greater than our own. Jesus, we want to respond like that. Help us to be more like you. Lord, thank you for um, instruction in your word to quiet and calm our soul and help us to respond to that and lead us to those places. Maybe it's through journaling or walking with you, literally taking a walk with you and just quieting our soul from all the noise that goes on around us that gives us other messages other than to serve others and walk in humility. Help us to listen to your message and to do that and find the results in a deeper and closer walk with you. And finally, God, help us to hope in you. Help us, Lord, to from this moment forward, not to cling to our past, but to just strive forward towards our future knowing that that you who began a good work, you're faithful to complete it. So I bless your people now. I bless them. Lord, may your word dwell richly in them. May it be like a seed throughout the week that that is referred to um, by you, where you come and just allow that to grow inside of us. Remind us of your word. Remind us of humility. Remind us of Psalm 131. And, And Lord, we give you the permission to change the areas in our life where it needs to be changed. Thank you for what you're doing in this moment. We honor you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. God bless you. If you need prayer, please come.
Your love. 